kind of the focus of what we're doing. To sort of outline the points of these lessons, we look at the outline of what's our objective. We need to identify the enemy, and of course, that outstanding lesson that John presented that identified the enemy clearly as Satan. We need to learn his tactics. He uses deceive and lies and disguises. He's able to disguise himself even as an angel of light, the scripture tells us. We need to learn how to overcome him. James said, resist the devil and he'll flee from you, James 4, 7. We need a battle plan. To develop that battle plan, we need to spend more time in the study of God's word. And that reduces his opportunity to get at us. We need to guard our flanks. Jesus said, Matthew 26, 41, watch and pray. Yes, that's a little out of context. He was talking to his apostles about watching and praying while he went to pray to the Father. But the admonition is still the same. We need to watch carefully on every hand and pray diligently. We need to always be ready to engage the enemy. Uh, be ready to every good work, Paul wrote to Titus in Titus 3.1. Of course, we need to prepare our equipment. We need to do that by studying. Check our shield. Our shield, of course, is the shield of faith. Uh, Paul told the Philippians in Philippians 4.7, God will guard your hearts and minds. We need to sharpen our sword, 2 Timothy 2.15. We need to train for battle by meeting with the saints. Can you imagine what the penalty would be for uh, any military personnel who failed to show up for a training meeting? <laughs> uh, we, we, these are our, this is our training ground. This is where we prepare for the daily battle that we engage with Satan. There are no rules of engagement. Jesus said, go out into the highways and hedges and bring them in, Luke 14, 23. And of course, we need to focus on the objective. Philippians 3, 14, Paul said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We need to recruit others, Mark 16, 15. And ultimately, our goal is to win the crown. And Jesus said in Revelation 2, 10, be faithful unto death and I'll give thee a crown of life. I've had difficulty transitioning into modern language translations. I particularly like the translation in King James, though, where the word uh, archis is translated unto instead of until. Almost every modern translation says be faithful until death. But I think the word unto carries with it the connotation of right even in the face of death. Be willing, be willing to die for your faith. It's a little stronger, little stronger use of the language there. Paul wrote, trust in the Lord with all your, well, excuse me, the Proverbs writer, wrote, trust in the Lord with all your hearts and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I'm about to chase a rabbit. I like to talk about the providence of God. In this passage, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. If you look throughout the scriptures, you'll find occasion after occasion after occasion when God's providence brought about good things, even when it appeared that they weren't. We'll point some of that out as we go along, but for time, we'll move on. You know, for the last 3,000 years, soldiers have carried heavy weights of armor, but into battles with them. 
Uh, I don't know what the rate is today. Back in, in my day, I think we had 40 pounds. <laughs> Nowadays, I think it's up to 100 pounds or more uh, of weapons and supplies and armor into battle. Of course, over time, personal armor has changed from plates of animal bones to the chain mail to today's high-tech ceramic armor. You really wouldn't want to go into battle without some very effective defense, and you certainly wouldn't want to send your children into battle without the best defense possible. And that's true, of course, in the carnal warfare of mankind, but it's even more true in the spiritual warfare. And we need to evaluate and ask ourselves the question of, are we arming, are we putting armor on our children that will enable them to withstand the battles that are raging about us? Paul was being held prisoner in Rome when he wrote this letter to the Ephesians. He was guarded by Roman soldiers at all times, and he had ample opportunity to observe their armor in great detail. Of course, we know that the Holy Spirit guided and inspired Paul in the things that he wrote, but I think he perhaps granted a little latitude for Paul to be able to use his own perspective. And so he chose the metaphor of the soldier's armor, uh, more or less, to describe this, this uh, defense system that we need as Christians. In his letter, of course, he wrote about the spiritual blessings that Christians have in Christ. He wrote about his prayers on their behalf and mentioned the fact that salvation is made possible by the grace of God and that all Christians are one in Christ. And, of course, we'll stress on that unity in just a little bit. He wrote about the mystery of the gospel, the hidden that was, has been hidden in ages past, but now is being made known by his preaching. He urged Christians to uh, live that new life that is, we're supposed to live in Christ. He urged his readers to live lives of love and honor, turning away from sinful practices. And then, of course, he described how bondservants and masters are to treat each other. And then in the closing chapter, he described how Christians should be prepared for the battles of the Christian life, using the metaphor of armor, figurative language, to illustrate the importance of an intentionally prepared defense. You know, no soldier is going to go out into battle and just haphazardly say, okay, here we go, without stopping and making certain that he has all of, the, all of his equipment, that he's adequately defended and prepared. Let's read these uh, eight verses in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. <clears throat> Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Paul's admonition to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might has a great deal of meaning. The writer in Proverbs said, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. In Ephesians, first chapter, 
verses 17 through 21, Paul told the Ephesian Christians about his prayers for them. He said that he prayed that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. We should never underestimate the power and the might of our Heavenly Father. For example, in 2 Kings chapter 6, there's an exciting account of a battle situation in which it appeared certain that the Israelites would be annihilated except for the power of God. Let's read that, 2 Kings 6, 15 through 17. Now when the attendant of the man of God had risen early and gone out, Behold, an army with horses and chariots was circling the city. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Oh, then, then Elisha said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. We never know how much God is protecting us and caring for us in His divine providence. How often do we pray for things that we want, that we think will make us happy, that will satisfy us and our needs, and we forget to stop and say, Your will be done. Because I would much rather have the blessings of the God who created me and this wonderful universe in which we live and who gave his very own son to suffer and die to pay the price for my sins than the meager little old things that I might think about to ask for. I think he knows better how to bless than I know how to ask. And sometimes I think we cheat ourselves by failing to pray for God's will to be done in our lives. In chapter 6, verse 11 of Ephesians, Paul said, put on the whole armor of God. He goes on to describe each component of that armor, but the point that he's making is that we need the armor of God. We need the entire set. Leaving off any piece of it makes us vulnerable to the numerous, numerous weapons that Satan would use against us. We might also consider that an important part of our defense is the strength of unity, reliance upon each other, we're all targets of Satan. We all have the same thing to lose and the same thing to win when it comes to defending against Satan. There's no place for self-reliance. It's easier to do right when we're in the company of other Christians. And it's much more likely that we'll face temptation when we're in the company of non-Christians. The unity that Paul spoke of in chapter 4 is an essential source of strength. The writer in Ecclesiastes said, Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Ecclesiastes 4.12 By the way, if anyone has a thought or an idea or a question, please don't hesitate to let it be known. I'd be happy to 
happy to have you participate. Yes. Beautiful, beautiful point. Thank you, Ms. Nell. I appreciate that. Paul goes on to identify the enemy in uh, verse 8. That ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We must understand that our great adversary is the devil, Satan. Peter warned in 1 Peter 5.8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I like the word wiles, though. It reminds me of Wiley Coyote. He has a, a, an endless bag of tricks to use against the roadrunner, and he never gives up. <laughs> Satan has an endless bag of tricks, and he never gives up. I've heard people say, you know, I wish Satan would just leave me alone. I'll tell you when he'll leave you alone. He'll leave you alone the moment he's confident that he has won you over. That's when he'll leave us alone. Roadrunner's a cute cartoon, but there's nothing funny about the tricks that Satan uses against us. Oh, we make little jokes. Like the one about the lady who came home with a new dress and showed it to her husband and said, I really shouldn't have bought it, but the devil made me do it. And he said, well, why didn't you just say, get behind me, Satan? She said, I did. And he told me how nice it looked in the back, and I just had to have it. Yes, sir. Yeah. Right. Oh, exactly, exactly. You know, that, that's a good illustration of how, how important it is that we stay together, that we spend time with each other. Yes, of course, assembling whenever the, the elders have, have designated a time for us to get together, but also outside of the assembly, as much as possible, associate with other Christians. Because as Brother Jim pointed out, there's there's... There's always that potential that if we stray off to the side of the pack, that that weaker member of the herd will be attacked by Satan. That's very, very, very true. You know, Jesus said, Fear not them which are able to kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But fear him who is able to destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Matthew 10, 8, 10 28. Paul uses the word wiles from a Greek word that's transliterated methodia, which means trickery, to lie in wait. Other translations of the word wiles or schemes, clever tricks and strategies. These are devices employed by Satan with a specific intent of trapping us, of thwarting our efforts to live righteously. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, for we wanted to come to you more than once, but Satan hindered us. 2 Thessalonians 2.18. Time and again, Satan's efforts to thwart the gospel resulted in its greater spread. 
I especially like the account, though, of, of Paul being denied by the Spirit to go from Galatia into Asia Minor, Acts chapter 16. You know, later we find him hundreds of miles away in Philippi, and who does he meet but a lady from, from Asia Minor, Lydia, from Thyatira in Asia Minor. He taught her the gospel, she became a Christian, and later on we read about the church meeting in her house. <laughs> Was Satan thwarted by God's will? Absolutely. We must never ever underestimate the dangers of temptation or of Satan's deadly purpose or of God's power in our lives. Paul said, but we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness in this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. This includes government entities, whether local or state or federal. Christians are instructed to obey the laws of the land. Uh, insofar as they don't conflict with the laws of God, Acts 5.29, Romans 13, verses 1 through 7, details our obligation to submit to governments of men and says, that's why you pay taxes. <laughs> oh, really? I wondered about that. So there you go. Jesus said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God's, Mark 12.17. However, when the authorities ordered Peter and, and the other apostles not to speak anymore of the name of Jesus, he replied, we ought to obey God rather than men. Satan uses the powers of the rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness, the influence of evil that we encounter on every hand against us. Christians must be careful that we don't allow the elements of the world to influence our behavior. Do you know not that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you're that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience to righteousness, Romans 6, 16. Back in Ephesians, Paul says, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. We must put on the complete suit. Pay particular attention to the word whole. Take up the whole armor of God. He didn't say just pick up the shield. He didn't just say put on the helmet. He said put it all on. We must put on the complete suit. The gospel in its completeness. In giving the great commission, Jesus said teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. Mark 28, 20. When Paul went, met with the Ephesian elders on the island of Miletus, he, he told them, you know that from the first day I came, I kept back nothing. I taught you publicly, daily, from house to house, and I have not shunned to declare unto you the whole gospel of Christ. Paraphrasing Acts 20, 18 through 27. The entire gospel is necessary for salvation. Leaving off any part of the armor makes us vulnerable and susceptible to temptation. Imagine trying to have a conversation with someone about their soul, someone perhaps who's been taught false doctrine. If you aren't able to combat that with the proper armor, then you find yourself in a situation of weakness. A part-time Christian is easy pickings for the devil. Someone who rarely picks up the Bible, who spends more time on worldly entertainment, than in meditating on the scriptures is in danger. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, Paul wrote to Timothy, knowing that they generate strife, and a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. 
if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil having been taken captive by him to do his will. 2 Timothy 2, 23-26. He mentions the evil day. When is the evil day? <laughs> Jesus said sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. He was quoting an old Hebrew proverb, Matthew 6.34. The proverb was each day has enough trouble of its own. Any day that Satan tempts us, though, is potentially an evil day, isn't it? He sets traps, he lays landmines, he sets up ambushes. He never gives up. Some days are better than others. Some days it seems that we're facing an all-out assault from the devil. It requires a lot of patience, a lot of praying to overcome on days like that, doesn't it? James urges that we resist the devil and he'll flee from us. James 4, 7. Luke tells us that after the temptation of Jesus, Satan left him alone for a season. Do you think that was it? After those three instances in the wilderness, did Satan say, oh, well, okay, I can't get him. I'll just give up. No. Satan continued trying to destroy Jesus before he completed his mission, before he accomplished his purpose on every hand. We'd like to live free of temptation, we think. Sometimes we get frustrated with the things that seem to be going against us, realizing that it's Satan that is tempting us. But that's a good thing, because he'll leave us alone once he has us. So we should pray for strength to withstand and resist his assaults. In verse 14 of chapter 6, Ephesians, there are three important principles. Firmness of faith, truth, and righteousness. Paul says, stand firm Having fastened the belt of truth about your waist, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Paul said, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave and strong, 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Stand your ground. The famous commentator John Gill said, keep your ground. In Ephesians 4, 27, Paul said, don't give place to the devil. Don't tolerate any form of temptation that might lead to giving place for the devil. Flee from temptation. There's a sermon I used to hear my daddy preach, he called Fleas in the Bible. <laughs> Talking about how when, when uh, Potiphar's wife tempted Joseph, he fled and got him out. That's the biggest flea in the Bible, I think. Uh, and we should flee temptation. We should flee evil. Be watchful. Stand firm in the face. Abstain from every appearance of evil. 1 Timothy 5, 21 and 22. In Corinthian letter, Paul said, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, and be, be, act like men, and be strong. We avoid Satan's wiles by learning to curb our temper, to restrain from anger, to turn away from temptation. We don't follow the suggestions of Satan that are intended to lower our defenses and allow him to catch us off guard. Don't be a calluminator, a tailbearer, a whisperer, a backbiter, one who makes malicious false charges in order to damage the reputations of others. Paul warns that Satan will try to irritate your spirit, to influence your thinking, to draw you into evil situations. A righteous spirit is a strong defense, and we should all pray as David did in Psalms 51.10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew within me a right spirit. Gird your waist with a belt of truth, Paul said. The Roman girdle was more than simply a belt or a sash. It was more like a utility belt that 
not only did it hold all of the components of the armor together, but it was also used for carrying things like cash or swords or various other items. The belt of truth is certainly an important part of the Christian's armor. Jesus said, the truth shall make you free, John 8.32. Standing firm on the truth of God's word helps a Christian to have firm confidence and a sense of security that it's difficult for Satan to assault. The truth of God is unassailable. When the Christian is armed with a working knowledge of that truth, defense against Satan's wiles is strengthened. The breastplate of righteousness. In warfare, the breastplate protects the vital organs from injury. The breastplate of righteousness, of course, is submission to God's will and obedience to his command. It's composed of all the attributes of a faithful Christian, including love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faith, and self-control. It protects the wearer's spiritual well-being. Anytime we are lacking in these Christian graces, we're creating a weak spot in the defensive portion of our armor, the breastplate, that protects our most vital organs. So it's important that we concentrate on those. Paul wrote to the Romans, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed. In the gospel, that's where we go to find the righteousness of God. For it is written, the just shall live by faith. Romans 1, 16 and 17. Speaking of rebellious Jews, Paul said, For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, are going about to establish their own righteousness, and they've not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Too often people are guilty of being righteous in their own eyes rather than being concerned about being righteous in the eyes of God. Romans 10.3 He wrote to the Philippians, Not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ Jesus, the righteousness of God which is by faith. In verse 15 of chapter 6, he said, And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. See, the Bible says you need shoes. <laughs> so let's go shoe shopping. Everyone needs shoes. Shoes that provide both support and protection in the daily warfare for righteousness. The Roman soldier was issued a, a two-part footwear. It was sandals that were strapped securely to the foot, and those sandals had nails or steel spikes embedded in the soles to give them a firm grip on solid ground. And then the uppers, the greaves, uh, which was actually to protect the shins and the, the lower legs. We see that Goliath had greaves made of brass in 1 Samuel 17.6. Notice that the footwear metaphor illustrates the foundation from which a soldier will wage battle. Modern soldiers are trained to assume a, a, a stance that will provide a solid shooting platform for greater accuracy. Uh, the Christian's footwear is pre the preparation of the gospel of peace. Preparation, gospel. That's our mission. If we're to be successful, we must prepare. Paul instructed Timothy to study the scriptures in order to prepare, to show himself approved, a workman not needing to be ashamed. This is not to say that every Christian needs to be a theological scholar, but we should at least know enough to avoid being caught up in the error of false teaching, and enough to tell others what we believe and why. Peter said it like this, 
But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, yet with meekness and fear, gentleness and respect. 1 Peter 3.15 The principles of the gospel are to do for us what the greaves and the iron spiked sandals did for the soldier. To make us sure-footed, make us ready for march to enable us to stand firm in the face of battle as we seek defense against the enemy. Paul wrote that henceforth we be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love that we may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ, Ephesians 4, 14 and 15. Above all, above all, the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked. The Roman shield was approximately two and a half feet wide and four feet high, and it provided an added measure of defense. It was typically made of wood and then coated with uh, two or three layers of leather that were treated with some substance that enabled it to put out the fire of a fire arrow, fiery dart uh, that might strike it. And so Paul's metaphor, metaphor here uh, in terms of quenching the fiery darts of the devil is absolutely spot on and accurate. This uh, shield was usually held in the left hand. Uh, I've often, occasionally you'll find a situation in which you have to shake hands with someone left-handed I always say, you know, only the bravest of men shake hands with the left hand because you have to put down your shield. <laughs> you shake hands with the right hand to show that you're not armed. You shake hands with the left hand, you're saying, I trust you so much that I am defenseless. An army of Roman soldiers with a shield of this nature, a phalanx of them could get together in a group and form an impenetrable shield with which they could advance against an enemy under heavy assault. Places in the Old Testament also speak of the shield and buckler. The buckler was a smaller, usually a round shield used for close combat. And you'll see those sometimes in some of the pictures. But the Christian's faith. The Christian's faith is the greatest source of strength that we have because that is what sustains us. Notice that there's no armor for the back. Because Christians are never to retreat. The prophet Habakkuk said, The just shall live by faith. Habakkuk 2 4. And Paul repeated that often in Romans, letter to the Romans, uh, chapter 1, verse 17, also in this letter to the Galatians. The Apostle John was an example of the greatest humility. He never referred to himself in the first person. He frequently called himself that apostle which Jesus loved. At the conclusion of his gospel letter, he asserted, this is the disciple which testifies these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. John 21, 24. He and Peter told the council and the high priest, for we cannot but speak the things which we've seen and heard, Acts 4, 20. Now, here's where I'm going with this. We have such an absolute rock-solid foundation for our faith 
because of this eyewitness testimony that we have in the Word of God. And when we truly believe that, and when we embrace and study and learn to apply the principles of God taught in the Scriptures, then our faith is strengthened to a point that it's unshakable. John wrote in 1 John 1, the first three verses, that which was from the beginning which we've heard. We've heard. We've seen with our eyes. And we've looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested and we've seen it. And bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. This is eyewitness testimony. A good lawyer would describe in careful detail exactly why this kind of testimony makes the strongest case possible for the truth of facts. We've seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world, 1 John 4, 14. Our faith isn't blind. It's not based on speculation or some pie in the sky. It's based upon a rock-solid fact, the truth of God's Word. The Hebrew writer said, without faith it's impossible to please Him. For he that comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. Hebrews eleven six. Peter said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. 1 Peter 1, 3. Back to Ephesians chapter 6, Paul said, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You know, a blow to the head by a sword or a battle axe could be fatal. At the very least, it could be dazing and confusing. Uh, maybe, you know, you kind of shake your head and lose a little consciousness. The Roman soldier's helmet protected from such blows. Confidence in our salvation protects us from our understanding being clouded or our judgment being confused by the arguments of the ungodly. And you can be confident in your salvation. You know, frequently I hear somebody, a discussion between people and someone will say, well, you know, how do you feel about your soul? Well, I hope I'm going to go to heaven. <laughs> Friend, you can know. You can know. You can absolutely know if this word is true, and it is, you can know confidently of your salvation. And that confidence is your helmet of salvation, your helmet that protects your head from being confused by arguments of the ungodly. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing asunder even to the dividing of the soul and spirit and the joints and marrow and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore comfort each other 
and edify one another just as you're doing. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 8 through 11. Praying always. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. You know, there's so many passages that assure us that God hears our prayers. I don't wonder that the Scriptures suggest and Paul admonishes us to pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean always be walking around mumbling a prayer, but always have a prayerful heart, a prayerful attitude. Something good happens to you, thank you, Lord. Something bad happens to you, thank you, Lord. Help me to learn from it. <laughs> for the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer, for the face of the Lord is against them that do evil, 1 Peter 3.12. The angel said to Zechariah, fear not, for our prayer is heard, Luke 1.13. Cornelius was told, your prayer is heard, Acts 10.31. Paul said, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. And that's what I was getting at a moment ago. When he said, always have a prayerful heart, a prayerful attitude, ready to pray at the drop of a hat and that holding that hat out, ready to drop it anytime. <laughs> Be careful for nothing. Don't worry about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, Philippians 4, 6. And to the Colossians he wrote, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. Confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another that he may, may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Paul said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. Philippians 3.14. May we always keep the ultimate objective in view. Jesus promised, be faithful unto death, and I'll give you a crown of life. That's our goal. That's why we put on the armor. That's why we train. That's why we stick together. That's why we pray. Any other thoughts or comments or questions? Thank you for your kind attention. You've been great. You've been such a good class. I'll give you a few minutes extra. Thank you.